Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Happy Thursday morning, everyone. Jacob, Chris, how you guys doing? Morning, John. Morning, Tatum. Morning, Jacob. Morning, everyone. Doing well. Thanks for asking. Morning, Tatum. Good to see you up here. We've got uh, some clips to play for people that I think will be entertaining. Uh, whole mix of things. Some CNBC clips with the one and only Jim Cramer. Maybe we'll play a uh, Davy Day Trader. That is Dave Portnoy clip. Um, might play that one. We've got we've got a good amount of stories to talk about here. Obviously, the biggest uh, headline is that Bitcoin is above sixty k. If if you miss it, um, we will definitely play the Jim Cramer clip because I don't know about you guys. I thought he was starting to sound a little senile up there. So I figure he's got to work, you know, another five years at CNBC, and then he can run for president or Senate after that. Jacob Tatum, good morning, guys. How you doing? Morning. What's up, man? Yeah, this uh, it's when you said, you know, good morning Thursday. I was like, it's already Thursday. It feels like the fastest week and the longest week at the same time. I couldn't imagine what it's like for you, but yeah, yeah life's good. I man. don't think was real, honestly. <laughs> did you have a lot of people texting you, Tatum? I actually did. I. I had a an old boss from when I was in college text me. I hadn't talked to him in like six years, and I was like, "Okay, this one, this one's kind of weird. I didn't expect this one." I also just have a Calendly link uh, now that I just send them, where it's just Calendly dot com slash Tatum turn up, and you click it. It says, "So you finally want to listen, and you can schedule a thirty minute call with me, so I can talk to you." <laughs> I love that. So you finally want to listen. Um, so I am looking for a tweet here from Ronan because I, I kind of agree with it. When I read it, I was like, I think that this might be the case. So there's this kind of debate. I feel like we're all having, we're like, we're trying to gauge how many of our friends that we've talked about with Bitcoin in the past and, you know, they haven't listened or maybe they were mildly curious, you know, are we getting the texts or emails from those people and my general thought has been that it, it's like really not happening that much for the last whatever six months that Bitcoin has been rallying. Um, yeah, there have been like a few texts, emails here and there from people, but like generally speaking, not much. Um, and then uh, Ronan, uh, Ronan at Ronan21BTC tweeted, uh, I'll just read it, it's quick. He goes, my dad said Bitcoin was, the, this is yesterday, my dad said Bitcoin was the talk of the office today. Also said he wants to do a big lump sum, 
from his savings, people are conflicted on whether or not the normies are coming. I believe the signal to activate normies went out today. I don't know what to make of this. Um, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. If it's true, then, you know, is it just a psychological thing? 60K, that's close enough to all-time highs that people, you know, the quote-unquote normies are like, oh my gosh, this thing is back. It, it didn't die. SBF didn't kill Bitcoin. Um, I, I tend to think that yesterday might be the beginning of the normies coming back in and saying, all right, I'll put some of this ETF in my, you know, brokerage account or IRA. All right, I'll finally open up a Swan account or whatever, whichever account that their friends have been shilling to them. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I I kind of agree. I think uh, many people have been, you know, not paying attention to it, or at least normies in the last couple months. Uh, John, I, I think I, I sent you a couple guys my way uh, to you, um, but uh, I mean, aside from that, I think it's very tame. Uh, when you think about it, Bitcoin's only been in the sixty k range, including yesterday and today like 38 days in the entire history of Bitcoin. So very small, we're nearing all-time highs, but I feel like like kind of what you're saying, sentiment around it is just very neutral or flat for retail. Um, I definitely think either when we hit an all, like a new all-time high or maybe even if we start gapping up to you know six-figure Bitcoin, then people will definitely be more aware of it. But um, yeah, as of right now, I'd say very tame, uh, not getting too many texts for the most part. I also think that... Uh this this is like I, I don't have too much to back this except for like two people that text me but um two people sent me a screenshot of the bitcoin chart and it was the uh I don't, I don't remember what the actual what the term is for non-logarithmic but like it started to look like it the the current price was back at the two little peaks that everyone always notices when you're looking at that whole all-time high chart and uh then another one sent me a post from reddit it was like uh some guy made it became like a millionaire or something like that and i think that the the sentiment is starting to get around and i think that people are starting to talk and uh i think it's i think it's different than last time because like uh, last time when we were at this range or the, the past two times we were at this range, it was like fast. It was, it was like really, really like, um, like just bull in a China shop, no pun intended, but this time it's kind of like a, it feels like a little slower of a ramp up. Um, and I think Corey tweeted last night, it was like, if you zoom out and look at the, the past ATHs, they were just like wicks on the candle this one is like we're at the we're we're still in the girth of the candle. Sorry, I'm not allowed to say that, but that's how it was described. But like it's actual like sustainability at this point. I feel like and and here I'll say it. This time is different. This time is different. Yeah. Well. Well said. Um, it it is interesting to look back at the peaks of prior cycles, whether it's last cycle above 60k. And, and Tatum, I think you shared the stat, something like 30-something 30, 30 days that uh, Bitcoin has been above this amount. It also reminds me of the 2017 cycle where, you know, depending on the chart you were looking at, Bitcoin got to, what, like 19K and change in that cycle. But I mean, that one was like an absurdly short amount of time at 19K. I, like, I remember it as being like it might have been hours <laughs> that it was at 19K. 
And, you know, people didn't really, I don't think it's fair to say people were like, you know, a lot of people got in at 19K. It was like, if you weren't looking at your phone and Coinbase was the main place to buy Bitcoin at that time, you, you know, almost certainly did not get in at 19K. So that was the reality, but that didn't stop so many people from always quoting Bitcoin's performance versus the prior high, which I think is just very misleading particularly in 2017 for all the reasons I just laid out. It's like, you know, it was at 19K for a few hours. I don't think we should be quoting the price versus versus that. Um, that plus the fact that what I think we all know here is that Bitcoin is better for saving over time. And people have shared the uh, charts and graphics that show you could have bought in at the all-time high. And as long as you DCA'd starting at the all-time high, uh, you've been in the black for a long time now. I don't know if anyone has the, the number there. I think I saw one even before this latest pump that said people would be up like 50% or something like that. Um, so anyway, yeah, comparing to prior uh, cycle peaks has, has definitely a few issues. Um, but this one certainly feels different. Uh, that That is for sure. Terrence, Dom, Shelly, good to see all you guys. How you doing? The office opens at 7 a.m. my time every day, and I pride myself on showing up on time. I, you know, I, I just got here, and there's 215 people already in their round cubicles. Um, I just need a memo. You guys are, like, showing up so early here. We did open the room uh, about 10 minutes early today. We thought it was justified after the mayhem of, of the last few days. We did not send out a memo. I apologize for that, Terrence. Well, I'm coming in a little bit late, but I uh, heard what you last said. I think Wicked posted um, something within the last two or three days on um, dollar cost averaging from the last high in November of 2021. And if you did that, you are now up 100%. You have literally doubled your money dollar cost averaging from the high. There you go. I was way off. I, I, I thought it was 50% the number that I saw, but it sounds like it's more like 100%. That, that is amazing. Definitely well, go check out some of Wicked's graphics. He's been, he's been doing uh, comparisons on like DCA and lump sum and, and like combinations of both. And uh, it's, dude, I, I love what Wicked does. His visual, visualizations are awesome. For sure. Yeah. Shout out to Wicked. Um, w, w, there's some underscores in there. WS Bitcoin. Um, but he, yeah, he puts together good stuff. Um, Bitcoin is a savings asset. And I think his graphics uh, demonstrate that really well. Dom, Shelly, how you guys doing? Good morning. I think we were both trying to be polite there. I'll let I'll let Dom say good morning, and then I'll tell you about the text from my uh, ex employer. What's up, y'all? Yeah, morning's going good. <clears throat> um, I got a Spirit flight pushed back out of the gate. You know, Spirit Airlines—they'll snatch your spirit straight out of your body. That should be their their punchline: your spirit, your hope. Um, but on the good news, I washed my wired Apple headphones for like the seventh time, and if you can hear me well. They still are holding up strong. So uh, that's a morning because everyone. you sound crystal clear. Oh, dude, it's incredible! I see it in the in the washer, and I go, "Oh my god!" 
uh, how am I even allowed to be a firefighter? Like I washed my headphones for the seventh time, um, but they work great. I think that Apple wired headphones were the last thing that they made without planned obsolescence. Oh yeah, that they're they're a definitely tank status. It's like a 1995 Honda Accord. Like you can't kill it. The S9s of headphones. Dom, I will I will ask you this. Are you a wired headphones guy for a particular reason? Do you, are you skeptical of the Bluetooth headphones? Yeah, so I'm not a huge like, you know, I'm going to get brain cancer type thing. I will say one time I was in my house and I was much farther away than I thought. And yet, like, I was listening to the music and I had that moment where I was like, wow, these things can penetrate a lot of stuff because um, I was like multiple rooms away. Um, the the main reason is I'm not responsible enough to maintain I mean, I just told you I washed my my uh, wired headphones, so I can't maintain the Apple headphones. The first time I lost them, you know, I gave myself some time. I said, "You got to show that you show us you're more responsible." The second time I lost them, I was like, "No, this, these are not for you." And those things are expensive as hell. So, um, unfortunately, I've been permanently bumped back down to AAA ball on the headphone game. But it comes with perks, such as being able to wash the headphones um, without incident. Dom only cries himself to sleep that that's like $30 or a 30 Bitcoin worth of headphones he's lost over the years. Hey, seriously, I know. Do y'all ever do this, though? I think we talked about it once before where you lose something or you're going to buy something or you punish yourself by buying Bitcoin instead. So you go, you know what? Like, I messed up on this. Okay, you know what my punishment will be? I will, I will stack sats. And forego on that item for the for the uh, indefinite future. Is it a punishment or is it a reward? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's like a it's a it's a it's a rehearsal in um, time preference. You know, you you punish yourself short term but long term, you're going to be uh, you'll be good. No pain, no gain. Well, Shelly, we want to hear about this uh, email or text you said from a former coworker or employer. And I will just say this because this may have been before you, Terrence, and Dom joined. But we were trying to gauge this question that I think everyone's been trying to gauge themselves for the last month or two or maybe more. But if, if the, the quote-unquote normies are coming to Bitcoin, retail, whatever you want to call it, um, if they're coming – if they're already, you know, here, to what extent are they here? You know, what stage in that process are we in? And we're all trying to very informally gauge this based on text messages we're getting, emails, phone calls, etc. So it sounds like you're going to have a good data point for us here with this story. Yeah, I feel like this is a little anticlimactic after the headphone synopsis, but uh, I'll go ahead and share it anyway. Uh, yes, what an ex-employer of mine, he is actually the only person who's texted me so far. Uh, this is the first time that I've had so few people reach out. So I'm, yeah, actually hearing from less less friends and family at this point. And the message was positive, though. He said that he always smiles and thinks of me when the Bitcoin price goes up. <laughs> so that was kind. 
And uh, he said that he told his team, like he was pretty proactive with informing his people in the 20s to go hard into Bitcoin. So I didn't get any confirmation on how many of those people followed through. But I told him that it was good that he uh, did that. And then he said he always attributed, you know, when talking about Bitcoin to these people, he would attribute me and my God-given instincts, which I thought was very sweet of him to say, but they really weren't my instincts. They were my father's and it took me seven years to get Bitcoin. So I was actually very slow and non-instinctual about it. But once I did eventually, uh, you know, make that decision to yellow my life savings into Bitcoin, it was um, definitely partially instinct. So I do think that it was a blessing and it's a blessing to have somebody that's going to persist with you for seven years. So this is an aside, but just since there are so many people here and there might be a lot of new people here, if you have had friends or family who've mentioned Bitcoin to you and you haven't done your homework, don't be like me. Be legit and uh, do your own research. I was upset because I was told that we get girlfriends, but all I got was texts from ex-girlfriends and I want my money back. Were they trying to get you back, the exes? Yep, but, you know, same reason they left me is the reason they want me back. It's just how the game goes. Tatum, that's though, because when you got your car back from Dirty Mike and the boys, it had like a, a little like uh, stench to it. You know, you got to, there's some other factors going on. Yeah. I I hope I'm not the only one that got that reference. That, that, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated movies of all time. The, the other guys. Uh, oh. Just just an absolute classic. The, the art scene where he's in there and he, he, he riffs the, you know, the college art class that he took so he could make fun of people uh, in art galleries. If you haven't seen that one and then the Will Ferrell lion versus the tuna scene, I'm sure you guys have seen that. If you haven't, you have to Google Will Ferrell lion versus tuna. Um, and watch the other guys. It is a funny movie. I don't have any producer credits on there, FYI. 100%. That, that is a hilarious movie. That Even though it had Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell in it, I feel like it just didn't... It do, doesn't get appreciated for what it is, um, but it's been years since I've seen that, so I will have to re-watch that at some point. Um, and apologies if you guys hear some background noise from me. They are like remodeling the office next to me or something. Um, Mitch and Terrence, do you guys um, have any uh, any insights you want to share on? Are you getting contacted by your friends? Like, hey, tell me about that Bitcoin thing you were telling me about two years ago or anything like that to share? Nothing on my end. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the meme where it's like a uh, – it's like a clock or something, and it's going back and forth between fuck them, and I need to tell everyone I know about Bitcoin, but I think mine's broken because I'm permanently stuck on fuck them, and I don't really like try to orange pill people anymore, honestly. It's just like most people, they're just looking for number go up, and they don't want to learn like how or why it works. They're just like, oh, is now a good time to buy, and when should I sell? So I don't know. I'm not really interested in having those conversations with normies. Mitch is too busy eating his 12 raw eggs a day. I mean, I mean, just look at his profile picture. It doesn't even fit on the stage here. It's like so based 
bitch. Um, I'm actually getting sort of a basket of um, lots of calls, lots of texts, um, lots of emails. Part of it's my own fault. You know, I for seven years, I've been trying to tell everybody and and I run a private newsletter. I'm not looking for subscribers at all. It's it's <laughs> I do it backwards. I literally just add people in my life that I care about, people I know, some people from college, people that work on my movie sets and whatnot. Um, and mostly people that aren't on Twitter. So I get these calls and it's all over the place. The biggest one really is that I have so many contacts apparently that are still at Vanguard. And now, of course, with the price pumping in and the media headlines, they're like, okay, what, you know, what do I do? Like Vanguard, I can't do anything. So we know that just takes time to, you know, sell out into cash, transfer over to others, if they're going to even stay into ETFs and questioning whether that's in their retirement, you know, or not. And do they want to hold real Bitcoin in their retirement or, you know, just stay with ETFs. And then I'm getting a lot of questions about devices. You know, some people are still on exchanges. I was talking about this in a space yesterday. I had a, a buddy who still had some money on Coinbase. It was only 5% of all of his Bitcoin, but he freaked out when he saw the zero balance yesterday. He goes, what is going on? And that was the first I had heard of it, um, you know, of Coinbase's circuit breaker. Um, so it's kind of good in a way, like these are all just reminders, like, you know, everyone just gets so lazy when the price is down, you know, us Bitcoiners, we're building and we're making moves and we know how to prepare because we've seen all the malfeasance and all these things happen. But, you know, I get it. Th these normies, they're just busy with other things and they're on the on the, the treadmill and they don't really see what we see. So um, it unfortunately takes some price moves and a little bit of FOMO for them to 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 upgrade their their security and their self-custody and or change brokerages, right? Um, I just feel like Vanguard's kind of missing out and I'm forgetting how many people were at Vanguard. I was at Vanguard too, but you know, I moved ahead of time because we have been in spaces like this where we talked about it. Hey, Terrence, they're just protecting their investors from gains, right? They, they did a good job of protecting all their clients from this 50% pump since the ETF is out, so... It's a feature, not a bug, right? Yeah, of course, because it's better to have like four to five percent cash flow than a fifty percent accretion rate. Well, just remember, everyone, it's not a store of value because it's going up too quickly, and Vanguard just didn't want their clients to be exposed to that kind of risk. That that will be an interesting one to follow. Obviously, um, I am curious if or when. I mean, if Bitcoin, you know, is what we all think it is, then I think it's more a matter of when, not if Vanguard reverses course there. I mean, let's just say Bitcoin uh, three, four, five years out now continues its trend of being the best performing asset over time, um, even the best performing asset for most individual calendar years. If that trend continues for another three, four, five years, I just don't see how Vanguard can stay with their their current policy. I, su I suppose it's possible, but um, it seems unlikely to me. Now, now they might stick with it for you know the rest of this calendar year. I, I could see that, um, but longer than that would would seem to be a, a tough position to hold um, in my eyes. Let's go to Lynn, and then we'll go to Dom. What's up, Lynn? How you doing? Good morning, John. Fine. I think we're all doing pretty good, but thanks for having me up. Yeah, just talking about the retail point, this morning I was reading Brian Armstrong's tweet from yesterday where he was explaining the outage as they had tested their, or they, they I guess they 
they um, they upgraded their system to handle 10 times the normal traffic, and it had exceeded that yesterday, and that's what caused the outage. Um, you know, that could be true, could be not true. I saw a lot of conspiracy theories yesterday about their alliance with BlackRock, but assuming it is true, then that would really indicate a lot of retail activity in uh, on Coin Coinbase. So, um, you know, that could, that could be one of the reasons. And I haven't seen as much on the retail side. I think a lot of this rally is really being driven by institutional and and the ETF product, but um, that certainly will lead to retail. But if the volume of Coinbase was an indication, then I would say that's uh, that's a trend. Side note on the Coinbase thing: I know Coinbase is whatever, but you you can't argue with facts. Uh, the Coinbase rank in the App Store rose from four hundred thirty to one hundred fifty in four days. So there's something. It's also possible that. Um, a lot of the Coinbase activity, unfortunately, is crypto. Like I just looked recently and I think Doge was up like 57% and Shiba Inu up 45%. And I just thought some of these alts were going away, but apparently that's not happening anytime soon. And Lynn, I'm so stoked to see you up here. L love hearing your voice. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Often I'm out uh, walking the pub, Halcyony, or <laughs> just doing things, but I always love being here. And and uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I, I need to be a little bit more active and, and happy, 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 happy to join you and happy to see Shelly up here, too. I heard one encouraging take on the whole Coinbase casino thing, Terrence. My buddy at work was like, yeah, my my uh, my wife finally got into Bitcoin and she's rolling some of her um, like uh, had a previous 401k or something into um, uh, the ETF. And she's also um, started going on Coinbase to learn about these other coins, but only for the purpose of converting those coins into Bitcoin and just trying to get the free tokens and immediately converting it to Bitcoin. And I was like, sick. Okay. All right. Um, I was like, she come up on that, like, like on her own. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. We, we, she came to me and said, I know those are called um, quote shit coins. Um, and so, but if they're going to hand them out for free, I'm just going to take them and convert them to Bitcoin and then try to get it off there. And I was like, sick. Yeah. Coinbase offers all these free little courses and they give you, um, all kinds of crypto tokens for free just by going through their little five minute courses. Yeah. It's a trap. It's like the gateway drug. They give you a little for free because they know once you get it, you see it goes up, you're going to buy more. It's a pretty smart move. I'm going to I'm gonna take the opposite side of the, the Coinbase thing, Dom, and kind of put on my tinfoil hat right now. Um, you know, I, I find it kind of concerning personally that, you know, obviously they're the custodian for like, what, 80% of the ETFs. And, you know, they, Brian sent out that tweet, Brian Armstrong sent out the tweet basically saying like, oh, you know, we were expecting 10x surge in the bull market, and it was more than that yesterday, and they went down. Uh, my, my conspiracy hat theory is, one, it's very concerning that they're 80% of the, you know, the custodian for 80% of the ETFs. And I guess my more nefarious theory is, it's like, oh, what if, you know, we're, we're seeing history repeat, or at least rhyme, like, kind of like with GameStop when we saw, you know, the GameStop thing and Robinhood and basically Citadel basically saying, yeah, you can only do a sell button. You know, I, I'm not saying that someone on Wall Street told them to, you know, oh, your servers go down. So the price goes down uh, to alleviate, you know, the price going up. That's kind of one tinfoil hat theory. But then 
Two, it's like uh, there is a huge centralization risk in Coinbase being as large as it is, custing 80% of the ETFs. Um, yeah, I just think that that's a huge risk, it being there. Obviously, it's not going to hurt or harm Bitcoin in the long term, but uh, there is a risk with Coinbase being there. Um, so I don't know. That's just my tinfoil hat theory of it all. Lynn? Yeah, Chris, I, I agree with you, and I had that thought, too. And also, Coinbase drives a lot of the ticker symbols across uh, different platforms. And so when the price was pumping so hard yesterday and everybody was seeing it, I think there, that drove a lot of price action. And then all of a sudden, like I have a Coinbase feed on my iPhone um, and, uh, you know, Bitcoin price, and uh, and it was stuck. And I also had on my monitor the Swan YouTube feed, which I love, John. I just think that's so cool. And uh, and it was like there was such a difference. So I think, you know, by having by not showing that or displaying that that tremendous price activity in Bitcoin yesterday, it you know, it kind of took some of the sentiment out of the market, which is a big driver. So I totally, totally thought process is going the same way yours is. And I'm very concerned about the concentration of of custodial ship with with Coinbase. I think we need to see greater diversity there. Yeah, Chris, rolling with your, uh, you know, tinfoil hat, I'll take half of the tinfoil hat. But, you know, I always tell people or think a lot about, you know, this is the cycle for many, you know, organizations and institutions, their first entrance into Bitcoin. And it will come with, in my opinion, um, all of the things you would see in a cycle, including hard lessons learned, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't think they're going to fumble the ball necessarily. Um, cause you know, at that level, there's a lot of people working on things, but I do think it's important to still provide education. You know, obviously, uh, the Bitcoin only companies like Swan, um, you know, giving quality education to let them know deeper, uh, kind of meaning to what they're doing and the whys, I think will help prevent some of these hard lessons learned. But I, I believe 100%, just like any cycle, there are going to be hard lessons learned at the institutional, at a huge level, for sure. What those lessons are, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Dom, I'll, I'll kind of add on to that. I know I was listening to NBK's podcast, Bitcoin.Review, and he talks about, you know, as the fiat dollar uh, or price of Bitcoin continues to go up, there is more economic incentive for hackers or um, code breakers or people to try and steal your Bitcoin one way or the other. You know, whether they're sending you DMs asking you to send one Bitcoin, you send two back or they'll send two back, whether it is them trying to crack insecure hardware wallets or hot wallets, you know, the economic incentive is only going to go up as we've seen hash rate go up. You know, there is an incentive for people to try and steal your bit, your Bitcoin. So, you know, security is kind of a moving target. And it's something that, you know, as we're going into this cycle, I recommend everyone kind of check their setups. I'm not saying expose your keys or do anything, you know, panicky, but definitely you always want to be increasing your security setup to make sure that you're not a target for people that are trying to maliciously, you know, hack your setup, basically. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just something that sh people should always be aware. Security is a moving target. It's not a stationary target. Go ahead, Dom. For, for sure, Chris. You know, good comments there. Before Dom goes, I'll just kind of underscore that. Um, we obviously have tons of conversations with people about custody, whether it's um, you know third-party custody options, self-custody, single-sig, multi-sig, multi-sig collaborative custody, and um, just want to you know kind of 
first say if, if you're out there listening and you have questions about this stuff, please get in touch with us. That's what we're, we're here for. Feel free to shoot me a DM or, or anyone on the SWAN team. Um, and then another thing we like to tell people just kind of a mental framing is, it, you know, if Bitcoin is what we all think it is, you should probably think of your exposure as being 2x or 3x or more what it is today. And that is probably going to light a fire under you to get your custody set up in order. And custody setup could include um, not just you keeping it secure while you were on this earth, but making sure that the transfer of it to your, your next of kin, whoever that may be, um, is, is in order as well. So um, this is not the type of thing that you want to rush and, and, and do too quickly because that could be a problem, but it's the type of thing that you want to think about um, as soon as possible. There, there's no time like the president on this one. So just wanted to give that uh, PSA. Yeah, that brings up an excellent – We, you know, there was a space last night. I see Joe down there. He was on. I think Gary Cardone was on there, and they were talking about all the great things that are coming to the ETF, and, and in some ways self-custody is kind of taking a back seat, um, you know, and, and why would you do that? I believe, along with the lines you're talking about, that the story, the long-term story of Bitcoin, and I was telling someone the other day who felt really bad that they had such a little Bitcoin and they were feeling down on themselves for missing the boat. But one of the things I told them is I believe a narrative, you know, coming up in the next 5, 10, 15 years is not going to be how much Bitcoin you have. It's going to be how well you're able to hold onto your Bitcoin with the two biggest bogeys being Price action, right? Selling too early because a potential massive price run up where you go, oh my God, I never expected that it would, you're looking at your bag going, it's went up this much. And so I have to sell it or I'm irresponsible. And then second bogey being, you know, um, uh, fumbles in some form as far as funds. And, and like, you know, I think that's a realistic um, kind of obstacle. And so you can have a situation where long, long term, you're able to hold your bag better than someone that maybe has more Bitcoin than you. And, and, and I think that will be a real thing and, and uh, important. So I have to mention this, Dom. You just reminded me of this. And I, I can't believe I didn't open the show with this little story. But one of the texts I got from a friend, a high school friend, he works at one of the large banks, has worked there for over a decade now. Has never been a Bitcoin hater, but definitely Bitcoin skeptical. And to the extent he's owned any of it, it's been like, you know, BITO or a very small amount through a, a Bitcoin brokerage platform. And he dipped into the ETFs and, and maybe bought a little bit ahead of the ETFs. And he texted me yesterday and he goes, um, you know, I, I feel like I need to trim some of this. It's up almost 50% um, since, you know, since we got in. Um, and you know, just like he, he's this typical finance investor mentality. He's like, I, I just think I have to trim some. And then part of that same text, he goes, I think Bitcoin is going to a hundred K in our lifetime, but there will be bumps along the way. And I responded to him. I was like, in our lifetime might end up being three months from now. Um, and then he ends up saying a bunch more things, uh, just talking about his kind of thoughts on like macro and Bitcoin price and markets and stuff. <laughs> and this is the kicker. He says all this stuff, kind of giving his, uh, his view on uh, Bitcoin and where it fits into macro. And then the last text he sent me, he goes, by the way, 
WTF is the having anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just cracking up to myself about this. He's like, I love the guy. He's great, but he's like such a typical finance bro. Like he has all these in-depth thoughts about macro and markets and talks about how Bitcoin fits into it. But then he's like, yeah, what the hell is that having thing? Like just has no idea what the having is. Um, so anyway, had to share that one with you guys. I haven't even responded to him yet, but I will at some point today. Yeah, John, you know, as you're talking about this, I think, you know, I'm also from TradFi, and I think the having is going to get a lot of media attention this year where it hadn't really before in mainstream media. And it's a concept that's so foreign because we've just been trained on inflation and on, you know, increasing supply of assets and whether it's gold or money supply or this and that. And the fact that an asset has a declining supply is just going to really wake people up to ask the question, well, what happens to any other asset? And so I think it's it's a super exciting time. And I think that the conversation needs to be really pushed and, and driven and more focus should be on it. I mean, not necessarily what might happen to the price of Bitcoin during it, but the fact that you know Bitcoin is such a perfect um, asset and tool that it actually is a decreasing supply. And that's what's uh, you know, supply and demand is what really drives everything. So I, I, that's an exciting comment that your friend made. It gives me kind of optimism and hope that there's going to be a lot of education going on about that. that that's a great point. I'll, and I'll just say before you go, Chris, I, I think it hits on this bigger point that the people who, you know, he's obviously my friend here has obviously heard of Bitcoin many years ago. But he was only kind of willing to go so far and entertain so many concepts uh, related to Bitcoin. Now, this time, I feel like he's just, you know, going a little bit further and he's probably he's heard of the having. But, you know, now he's at the point where he's like, let me actually ask John what the having is. So, yeah, I think these types of people will be um, incentivized to dig a little deeper this time. Chris? Yeah, uh, no, great, great discussion here, John and Lynn. I guess this is kind of a question for you guys coming from the TradFi world, which I do not come from. But I guess how do you guys combat some of the narratives? Or, or what would you say, aside from being a Bitcoiner, like, oh, I believe this asset's going in the long term, you know, Bitcoin going to zero or everything's getting priced in zero, uh, you know, relative to Bitcoin terms. What would you say to someone in traditional finance to be like not trimming their position or not selling, you know, I guess your winners? What like how would you convince them? to be like, this is a different asset class or, or even, you know, you could see in traditional finance, it maybe was a mistake to sell Apple or trim Apple to buy, you know, pets.com or, or whatever. So I guess, how would you pitch to your, you know, TradFi friends, how to not sell Bitcoin or, or the reasons you shouldn't sell Bitcoin basically? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit on what I would go for at the end there with put it into context that they are more familiar with, which is, um, I just posted this to LinkedIn and I reposted it to Twitter, but, um, the Microsoft returns since like 1987 or 1990, something like that. It's basically a, a 23% compounded annual growth rate is what the stock has returned. So that is not the type of asset that you want to trim your winners. Um, if, if you're going for total absolute return, you, you know, you, there is an argument to be made and, this this is more of a TradFi, uh, you know, professional investor argument that there are some people out there that just don't want the volatility of because Microsoft has down years too. You know, there's definitely some big down years there, and there are some people where it's their stated goal to have a much smoother ride 
Um, this is generally for people who are already wealthy. Um, this is kind of you know wealth preservation and, and smoothing out of your experience rather than it is uh, wealth accumulation. So th that's an important caveat to make, but that's the terms I would put it into them. I think if you go the route of like, if you start talking about sound money and Austrian economics, you're probably going to lose them. If you start talking about Bitcoin, you know, overtaking everything and the dollar's going to zero, you're definitely going to lose them. Um, again, we're talking about a TradFi audience here. So those would be my thoughts. I, I, I was going to say you kind of hit on it. I've actually, so I come from TradFi and uh, I've, I've actually had trouble even like wanting, gauging any interest from my former colleagues and, and clients just like wanting to like, I've, I've brought it up in, in conversation, never like, you know, businessy or anything like that, but it usually they'll, all, they end up bringing it up to me. And it was always, of course, when it had like a really bad day or something like that. And that's whenever they want to talk to me about it because they're like, Hey, you're wrong idiot. Um, I remember my former employer, he, uh, actually, like he was asking me about it strictly just to try to shit on me. And, uh, I was like, I, I can counter every argument that you're making. And, uh, I, I did try to go into some of the fundamental programmatic properties of it, which like you said, lost them, of course. But then right whenever I talked about returns and he, he was like, Oh, well it's down, you know, this much for this, this month or whatever. And then I was like, okay, can we zoom out a little bit, buddy? Let's, let's look at this. And I, I started going over kind of like returns for him. And he was like reluctantly still trying to hold his ground that he was right. And I was wrong. But, uh, for, for TradFi people that don't care all that much on the fundamentals of it, they care about the NGU part. Um, and that's not always going to be there every single day. And, uh, it's, it, it's a dicey, I, I just kind of gave up, honestly, and uh, also left the job because he was a raging piece of shit. They'll be back, Tatum. They'll be back. It's, it's just like your ex-girlfriends, actually. They'll, they'll be back. Oh, they're always coming back. <laughs> we got a lot of hands up here. Um, Mark, great to have you on the stage. Dom and Lynn have had hands up for a while, so let's uh, see what is on their mind, and then we'll go to Mark. Dom was up first. I'll, I'll just say on that real quick. I'm not from TradFi, but again, referring to the space last night and, and uh, I hate to overquote Joe, but, you know, he mentioned about like everyone's in a unique spot and needs to think about how Bitcoin will serve them. John, I'm sure, you know, you talked about on your um, when you were on blue collar Bitcoin, you know, like like TradFi folks can't sit still a lot of times and, and it's in there kind of wheelhouse to be moving and shaking and changing and, and things. I would just say, you know, one of Bitcoin's best properties in a portfolio is its ability to anchor the portfolio and keep it on pace with whatever the, the goals of the portfolio are. And so <clears throat> if that's not broke, why fix it? Um, uh, you know, I posted about what we did in our union and put it on the reserve balance sheet. And it was for the purpose of keeping our reserves healthy in the event that we needed them in case of an emergency. And it's now done that in four months, it provided 
um, percentage returns, not dollar returns, percentage returns, uh, equivalent of the last 15 years of like interest, um, CD bearing, um, you know, fund placement. So that's the goal of the, the move. We're not going to change that, um, ever unless we have something that will replace and fulfill the mission of, of that move. And so while I'm not from TradFi, you know, I would just say to, to anyone, um, in TradFi who's, who's utilizing Bitcoin, like consider why you get into it in the first place and stay with that mission. And if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Yeah, John, I, just kind of taking on on what you were talking about about the you know how you how you talk to people and compare it to different winning stocks. I, I think that's a great approach. I think most sophisticated investors they they understand that the S and P five hundred is really driven by seven stocks right now, and so by holding those stocks or favoring those, you know, if you're rebalancing a portfolio, you don't want to sell your your losers. However, having said that, I really resist comparing Bitcoin to any of the stocks because I'd, it's not a stock. It's an entirely new financial system. And so I really try to have that conversation by saying it's not a stock. And so therefore, it kind of takes out that rebalancing out of the equation. I said, it's like it's, it's as if you're investing in the Internet at the early days of the Internet and it's you know adding that financial layer to it. It's, it's adding an entirely new system of value exchange globally with instant settlement. And so you can't really consider it like a stock. It doesn't have a board of directors. It doesn't have dividends. It doesn't have a lot of these attributes that you might, you know, value a stock on. And so I use that opportunity to really educate on why this is a technology first and something that's fundamentally different than anything we've ever known than to, um, than to talk about, you know, how much of it should be in the portfolio. And that's a conversation that you have to build on gradually, but I do think it's a great opportunity to separate what Bitcoin is from many of the other tokens and certainly from any of the other financial assets or stocks. For sure. That, that's a good point. And uh, I think everything you said is correct, depending on the finance person, you know, the hypothetical finance person that we're talking to here they might not have the appetite to <laughs> digest all of that messaging. Um, but at the very least, I, I think that's a fair point, Lynn. And even if, if someone does give the Microsoft analogy to a TradFi person, um, they should at least just throw in and say, hey, and by the way, Bitcoin actually does have a different risk profile than a company. So I know I'm comparing it to Microsoft, but you know, that analogy only goes so far. Because you probably want to plant the seed with them that Bitcoin doesn't have things like management risk, competition risk, obsolescence risk, um, confiscation risk, maintenance costs, illiquidity, etc. So th those are definitely good points to get across to, to these um, newer people to Bitcoin for sure. And AI is really kind of helping that conversation along, too, because you can't invest in AI as a concept, um, but you can invest in companies that are building an AI. And it's so much in the news right now and how it's transforming society or good or bad. But, you know, it's driving up the stocks. Everyone's talking about NVIDIA. And so, you know, you can kind of draw that comparison that Bitcoin is is conceptually similar to AI in that it's a new technology that we haven't seen before and we don't know how it's going to play out. But, you know, this is it, it actually has the opportunity to invest in the foundational technology where you can invest in, quote unquote, AI, but only AI companies or companies building on AI. And eventually there will be companies building on Bitcoin technologies that I think will be 
winners, Swan possibly, and IPOing at some point in the future. But, you know, I just think the next, I mean, I look ahead and I think that the next wave of financial innovation and entrepreneurship will be companies that are building on these distributed platforms and it'll be a super exciting time. And I think that might be, you know, when people start understanding that Bitcoin is so much more than an asset and, and really a foundational technology. Well said. Well said. Mark, uh, thanks for coming up. Would love to hear what's on your mind. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, and Lynn, I, I, I like what you're saying about um, not getting narrow and comparing it to an equity. When I'm talking to uh, fellow TradFi, just people in my neighborhood, I grew up in Westchester County, New York, a lot of banking and and um, hedge fund and salespeople in the business, very few are involved. So I found that if I'm trying to proselytize, there's a bit of a wall. Um, I, so the style of engagement is actually trying to find something that I can learn from them about how to message Bitcoin and where they're coming from. So a little bit of, of that has helped. And I definitely have changed that over the last couple of years to, to adopt that more. And then what that's led me to is the cash flow argument. You know, there's no cash. And then that led me to explore, well, wait a minute, let's, let's look at some of the metrics that they do know, like price to book, cash flow per share. And while it's not exactly analogous, comparing like the, as you said, or someone just said about the seven performing stocks that are clearly in the zeitgeist to say, hey, let's look at their metrics high cash flow per share, high price to book. So maybe book value is not the right measure. So that's a concept that people are figuring out. Tangible assets, maybe not where the game is going. And then compare that to Citibank and other banks, low cash flow per share, um, low price to books. And then you put in something like Bitcoin where price out the network of the miners, whatever the multi-billion dollar that is and the cash flow and the and the price to book value of that and it's similar to meta nvidia etc so i think putting it in the language even if it's like explaining an atom with a bohr model we know it's not right but it's a good gateway to understand how the system works so that's what i've done a little bit um but it's still groping in the fiscal dark <laughs> or the or the financial dark a little bit um and again thanks for having us on this really helps my process to, to listen to y'all. For sure. For sure. Thank you for those thoughts. And Mark, one of the things we have been talking about on this show today is gauging from different people's perspectives, um, how their friends, coworkers, former coworkers, family, whoever, um, people that uh, in their network who know that you are the person who is interested in Bitcoin, maybe knows something about Bitcoin, what kind of um, messages are you receiving from those people in your life? Uh, do you have any anecdotes to share? And, and I would be particularly interested in your coworkers, given that, that they are you know, more so the TradFi side of things. Are, are they reaching out to you? Is it still in the early days of that process? And anything you have to say, I'd be interested. Sure, way early. So I'm, I'm part of this um, group of guys together, 15, 20 years. Um, we'd work out Tuesday nights and then grab a burger and a beer uh, after. So that's that's our that's a core group together forever. 
one guy um, has been involved in it and flipped over um, and bought a small amount. Um, and another guy in the group who I spoke with said, hey, I noticed this first time in our group chat that he mentioned Bitcoin. I've never mentioned it. I talked to one guy a little bit. Um, I've spoken to a bunch of them over time. I remember when the FTX thing happened, I spoke to one of them who's a manager of a, a large pile of cash for a major institution, and he's skeptical. And I said, there are three things that have to fall before Bitcoin can rise. Um, CZ, FTX, and uh, Grayscale has to be resolved. And that was in 22. So he's now kind of scratching his head going, wow, that's interesting you said that, but not involved. So I think it's 10% penetration, maybe five from our TradFi friends, not even close. Good insight. Good insight. Um, I will just call out uh, Matthew Haugen, Hogan, uh, Bitwise CIO, was on CNBC, I think this morning, um, either yesterday or this morning. And he made a comment that it basically saying the same thing very early in this process. There's a bigger wave coming in a few months. Um, he's pointing specifically to major wirehouses uh, kind of turning on access to Bitcoin, referring to it as Bitcoin's IPO moment. Um, and that, that's also just, you know, wanna, as a general thing, I just want to highlight the fact how it is a pretty big deal that this is getting airtime on CNBC. So if anyone who works for an investment firm, an investment bank, broker dealer, CNBC or Bloomberg is on all the TVs on, on the floor. So it, it does matter that, you know, Joe Kernan is actually up there talking about Bitcoin with these people and he's actually defending it in a very rational, um, logical, fair way. So I, I think that kind of chips away at people over time. Um, just yesterday, Joe Kernan was talking about how uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin is, is stuck on this idea that Bitcoin's not a store of value, either because it's too volatile or because uh, it, do it doesn't remain the same price forever. And just yesterday, Joe Kernan said, if you have something that's the best performing asset for the five-year period, 10-year period, 15-year period, I think is what he said, then uh, that's a store of value in his opinion. And, and another thing that... Um, Andrew Ross Sorkin um, compares it to is, is, you know, it's down versus prior peaks. Um, sorry if I'm repeating myself. We've, I think we talked about that earlier in the show, but that, that's another thing he likes to say, you know, quote it, say, oh, well, it's still down if you bought it at the, the peak of the peak. Um, but even, and Joe Kernan kind of said, you know, that argument is, it might go out the window soon. And, and Andrew Ross Sorkin was like, yeah, I might not be able to say that anymore. Uh, pretty soon. So anyway, I think this all goes in the bucket of these are these traditional investor types are seeing it um, being talked about in, in platforms that they're used to seeing CNBC and uh, th th this will have an impact as time goes on. I think this brings up something that is an initiative we should all take, especially those of us who who played in TradFi in the past, but you know, to broaden our audience and to, you know, start looking at conferences and educational platforms that are geared toward TradFi or consumer finance. Um, last night, well, Saifedean is here in Mexico City today, this week, and he'll be speaking today at a TradFi conference, super TradFi, super, super TradFi. 
if he's like a keynote speaker um, midday and we all had dinner, there was a small group of us Bitcoiners from that had dinner with him last night, but, you know, just the, you know, just having some of our best ambassadors start being a lot more active in talking to these conferences, real estate investing, gold investing, you know, um, traditional financial education instead of Bitcoin conferences so that we start broadening the audience. So I, you know, I'm happy to see that Jeff Booth is coming to Mexico City, Puebla in a couple of weeks, and he'll be speaking at a ideas conference put on by Ricardo Salinas, which, you know, spans everything from uh, education to medical technology to this and that, and he's speaking on finance. So it'll just be great to have some of these, these voices talking to more of a you know, a curious general public that's financially educated, but is not necessarily yet Bitcoiners. You love to hear it. Absolutely love to hear it. One clip I saw that was making the rounds was uh, Michael Saylor talking with Keith McCullough. And it was the, your models are destroyed. What if 10 billionaires decide to buy it? And they say they're not ashamed of it. I'm sure everyone knows the clip I'm talking about. But what I wanted to ask you guys, and I'm sure someone can tell me, is that the original sailor, your models are destroyed clip? Or is, is that for more recently? It, when I saw it, it was one of these things I was just on a tweet and it didn't have a time on it. Is, is that from a few years ago or did Sailor and McCullough talk more recently? Does anyone know? I think, I think that's the clip from a while ago. I think it was from like two or three years ago. Cool, cool. That, that was my guess. Um, it's just interesting because when you hear that, it, it's just, it's almost like an evergreen <laughs> clip because, or it's even more applicable now. You know, if, if Sailor was saying that in 2020 or 2021, um, now it just seems even easier for 10 billionaires to buy a good chunk of Bitcoin, <laughs> say they're not ashamed of it and say they support it. Now that the Black Rocks and the Fidelities of the world are in the mix, like that just became so much easier for a billionaire to do. So, uh, yeah, we shall see. That clip may uh, just become more accurate as time goes on. All right, cool. What, um, what else do we want to highlight here? I got a few things that I could just mention as I look through the stories here. We talked about uh, ETFs diversifying away from Coinbase. I just have one thing here I wanted to shout out. So Valkyrie is one of the spot Bitcoin ETFs. Um, the ticker is BRRR, B-R-R-R. Got to give them credit for that. They actually diversified away from Coinbase um, to use BitGo as well as a second custodian for their Bitcoin that they secure in their Bitcoin ETF. So hopefully we see that that trend continue. What, what I'm hoping is that a lot of these ETFs just went with Coinbase at the beginning because that was the path of least resistance in terms of approvals and regulators and things like that. But hopefully over time they diversify their custody approaches and it's good to see BitGo um, get some action there. So I wanted to call that out. Um, one other thing to mention, I thought this was interesting, was Edward Snowden made a, a comment. Um, I'll just read the tweet here uh, quickly. He says, prediction, a national government will be revealed this year to have been buying Bitcoin, the modern replacement for monetary gold, without having disclosed that fact publicly. So I, you know, I'm not, he, he says prediction, who knows if he has some, some inside information there, but um, 
that's an interesting one for us to, to think about. Uh, but Chris, do you have any thoughts on either of those two points you want to share? Yeah, and I think also Bitwise also rules their own security for the ETF. So I think they're their own custodian. Um, I think, or at least they have a separate entity, but I think they're using Shamir signatures uh, in order to, you know, basically do a multi-party um, custody setup. And then I think, doesn't Fidelity either uses BitGo or they have their own custody as well? So I think those are three that are separate. But then aside from that, like all the other ones were basically Coinbase. Uh, yeah, I, I saw the Snowden tweet. So adding to that, um, yeah, I, I know there's been a lot of people that have thrown out ideas, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's the UAE, whether it is potentially Russia, you know, uh, maybe Iran. Uh, I don't know, but it, it's very interesting. I think it's completely likely impossible that a nation state is stacking Bitcoin and kind of not letting everyone know. That would kind of be their advantage to do it in secret. But yeah, I guess only time will tell. Dom, did you have something to say? You were throwing up some some laugh emojis there or someone in the firehouse was tickling you. I'm not sure which. I'm just I'm thinking Snowden must still talk to that guy in the movie where he drops the little SD card and the guy puts his foot over the SD card to cover for him. He must still have contact with him. And, you know, maybe he said, hey, dude, like, I can't say much, but like there's a country buying on our radar. And I just I entered in the database, you know, who's buying Bitcoin. And I saw all this stuff cooking. Um, that would be cool. I don't know. Um, I think a lamo's on point where. Governments have a real hard time keeping secrets like that, but if they prioritize it enough, it is doable. Yeah, it is. It is, and I did realize as I was saying that, making a comment about Edward Snowden having inside information that uh, opens it up to a lot of jokes. But um, I, I think it is very interesting to put yourself in the situation of if, if you're, you know, hypothetically the person that gets to decide. Uh, that you know, we this this government entity, or I would even broaden it to say, let's say one of the big tech companies. Um, these companies have an absurd amount of cash on their balance sheets. You know, tens of billions, hundreds of billions in some cases. Um, for them to just say, hey, we're going to allocate a billion dollars to Bitcoin would actually not be that big of a deal for them. So let's say you're the person who made that decision, and then you're also the person who gets to decide when we go public with this decision. Um, and I guess if you're a publicly traded company, you might have some uh, regulatory requirements. But let, let's just say you were not absolutely required to do it. It's a pretty interesting thought exercise to go through and say, when would I make this this public? Because I don't think you really want to make it public until you've acquired at least a good amount of Bitcoin. Because um, obviously, if, if you're Apple or if you're a big sovereign wealth fund, you're, you're not going to make the announcement ahead of time. And if your goal is to acquire, you know, $10 billion worth of Bitcoin, you're not going to make it when you've acquired your first 10 million because the announcement alone might make it shoot up. So it's just interesting to think through that, that calculus. Um, we will definitely hear about it in hindsight. That is for sure. Um, and, and I think those announcements are coming. I think one of the big tech companies will allocate some of their cash to Bitcoin, whether it happens this year, next year, I don't know. But I think that announcement is coming at some point. Lynn? Yeah, um, which uh, yesterday I was listening to Dante's, uh, you know, wrap up, which I love. I mean, that's just a, a really super great, you know, quick summary of the day. But he brought out something about the 100 Bitcoin a day buyer that's been active for a little while. I can't re recall how many days, 13 days or something like this, but that the day prior, 
they had increased that particular address had increased from 100 a day to 1300 or some some larger number but you know that really got me curious about who is this buyer and would it be an individual like Jeff Bezos I think was speculated because he's just sold some Amazon stock but um you know, could it be an Apple or could it be, uh, you know, a sovereign nation? Because it, it feels like that's a great pattern, hundred a day, you know, ease on in and then make the announcement. So I don't know if anyone else has any knowledge about that. I hadn't heard anything about it previously to Dante's um, show yesterday, but would love to get more thoughts and hear what everyone thinks about that. I don't have any knowledge on it, but I, I will feed, you know, a, uh, a theory any chance I can, but just, you know, what Alema was saying about how the Coinbase crash brought super, you know, a lot of Robin hood vibes, these things, when you put them all together and consider the fact that, you know, Bitcoin was on an absolute tear uh, yesterday. And it, it just so happened that the largest custodian and biggest exchange crashed, even though um, with all the team that they have, they stand to benefit. I don't know how much they lost in fees and the 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 uh, amount that they charge over spot, how much money they left on the table by crashing, uh, has to be significant. But you know, um, if there is someone that's trying, that's not quite done stacking, and uh, quite a coincidence for sure. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, if that would not. I mean that that would that and Chris said this you know that that is a little tinfoil hat um, esque which which I'm all for um, for anyone who's lived through the last four or five years on this planet I think you should be more open to t- tinfoil hat theories than you were previously um, but in that case I don't I don't think it would be the Bitcoin ETF issuers themselves that would want that because you know they're just playing like a middleman type role here. It's not like they're selling Bitcoin out of their own stack or something like that. So they're just kind of a, a broker. So for the price to just keep ripping, I, I don't think they have a problem with that. But I guess you guys are saying, was there another entity that just said, hey, let's uh, let's clamp down on this this price ramp? Um, so I, I appreciate the uh, the speculation. You never know. You never yeah. know. And remind me, John, who brought um, who brought Coinbase to market? What what financial institution brought them? Uh, with their IPO and all that stuff and underwrote everything. I don't even know. Was it Goldman? It was JP Morgan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, funny how that works, right? Um, well, I mean, we'll never get to ask Jamie Dimon because the last time he ever answered a question about Bitcoin was Davos of this year. So that was the last opportunity, guys. Sorry. Play play Liz Warren games, win Liz Warren prizes. Was I, I'll I'll speak. You just mentioned Liz Warren. I'll mention something that I saw. Um, she she's had a couple clips that have been making the rounds the last few days. One was her claiming that she wants to collaborate with the Bitcoin and crypto industry, and uh, Dennis Porter, I believe it was, had a, a tweet that just he said respectfully. You know, I don't think this is true because Dennis Porter, um, you guys correct me if it's wrong. I know he's Satoshi Action Fund. I don't know if he's the founder or just a member of it, but um, he's involved with them. Someone can clear that up. Uh, but um, he would know because he, he literally has tried to set up meetings with her. And he said he said that. He said, we've tried to set up meetings with you and, you know, you don't take the meetings. 
So she, she's literally just speaking out of you know both sides of her mouth at, at this point, which is frustrating. Yeah, Dennis is co-founder and CEO, and you know to that point, you know for a nonprofit that doesn't necessarily contribute large amounts of money, I can confirm and and with working with Bitcoin Today Coalition and going to DC and meeting with staffers, it's a different it's a different game when you're trying to just educate without money behind that education and versus. Hey, I need to talk to you and also just remind your boss that we contribute significant amounts to their campaign and we want to talk about something. Those are two entirely different meetings with a completely different attention span and oftentimes different point people that are part of the um, staff of whatever elected representative for sure. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Um Going kind of circling back to, to Lynn's other point, uh, you know, there's been that mysterious buyer that's buying a hundred dollars or a hundred bits, excuse me, not a hundred dollars, hundred Bitcoin worth uh, every day since I think November of 2022. So it's, you know, he's been doing it for a minute. Um, and yeah, they just, Dante mentioned that yesterday they bought 1300 Bitcoin. Uh, so they're definitely ramping up their allocation. Uh, I think it's very interesting kind of to your point, John, talking about like large corporations or even nation states, I think, uh, you know, whether this is uh, ethically and morally okay, but like, let's be honest, if they knew, if an Apple knew and their senior executives knew that they were going to announce that, hey, we just purchased a billion dollars or, you know, insert whatever amount you want there. Wouldn't you think that a lot of their senior executive team or the people that were in the know would be loading up with Bitcoin themselves before making this announcement and hoping to get a price pump? I know Bitcoin kind of does its own thing and, you know, maybe even something of that size wouldn't potentially even move the price. You know, it, we're getting to a bigger market cap and all that. But you would assume that, you know, maybe uh, people being greedy or looking in their own self-interest would try and, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to buy as much Bitcoin as I can myself. And then Apple announces a week later after, you know, they've kind of deployed all their capital to see what it does. Like I said, I'm not talking about the moral and ethically of all that. And, you know, maybe Joe Carlos, sorry, can talk about, you know, disclosures for um i guess what is it uh not public uh, it's, it's illegal you can't do that okay that's interesting yeah what if they were stacking all all the whole time you know not like loading up nefariously if they were stacking the whole time then they wouldn't be trading on confidential non-proprietary non-public information interesting okay yeah then Joe, joe's the lawyer here i'm not so I, I can definitely speak to how it works at a financial firm um there's so many restrictions about what individuals can do in their personal account. Um, I mean, to the point where it actually made no sense. Uh, I, I was always on the public side of Goldman Sachs, which means I did literally did not have what they call MNPI material, non-public information, because by definition, we never did the, the private side of the firm has that whether it's investment banking, you're doing mergers and acquisitions, you're taking a company public, that is private information. Um, so I did not have any of that. But Goldman decided to come up with a policy that said, it doesn't matter that you're on the, pri the public side of the firm. We are still going to not let you um, own individual stocks because, uh, one, they're, they're just overly cautious. There's really no upside for them as a company that I can own individual stocks in my, my PA, my personal account. Um, and then what the way they kind of justified it was that, well, you're a portfolio manager and you could technically be trading your personal account different than a client's account. And that might just be a reputational issue. 
that we don't want to deal with. So <laughs> that's what they said. And they just said, you literally are only allowed to own ETFs and mutual funds. That is at a financial institution. Um, I would think that, comp- I mean, companies like Apple should have that in place, but um, I-, I can't speak to it firsthand. Um, it- it's just a little bit different because, you know, Apple, that- that's not Apple's uh, wheelhouse, right? That's, they're not investors for a living. So I just don't know what their policies are. I, I su- assume that they have something in place. I just don't know firsthand. Yeah, so then I'll just add one quick thing. So we can just track Nancy Pelosi and what she's doing, and you can just avoid all that BS. <laughs> so I, I was actually going to make a similar comment, which is basically like, yeah, there's there's probably policies in place, but I think what we've learned in the last few years, whether you are a person in Congress, whether you're a Fed official, we eventually find out, oh, these policies can either be skirted or they weren't actually airtight policies to begin with. So that there, there is the potential for that. Do you know, John and, and Joe, I can see where you what you're saying is actually is very accurate for the ETF, but with Bitcoin itself, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking, and let's just continue with Apple as a kind of a theoretical example, but you'd have to have an executive that, you know, is championing the cause, and they'd have to probably be a Bitcoiner for a while or hold Bitcoin, and, and I think Tim Cook has said that he holds Bitcoin, but you know, it's it, Bitcoin's such an unusual asset, so it hasn't been. You know, it's not traded on the exchange, and so I don't know if it falls under that same, uh, you know, jurisdictional stipulation that you can't own that. I mean, it's like, are there commodities that are under the same restrictions? I'm, I'm, I really don't know the answer. I can see where it clearly applies to the ETFs, but I'm not sure that that regulation would apply to to Bitcoin itself. That that's a great point, and you just made me think of an example, Lynn. Um, the company Palantir that most of you guys are probably familiar with. I believe it was 2021 where Palantir purchased a bunch of gold, like in, in the name of the company. And that does kind of bring up this interesting issue, which is, does that mean Palantir had a process in place that said, Hey, you know, you executives that know about this, you know, you can't set up a brokerage account and and buy gold ahead of this announcement. I, I totally understand the conceptual restrictions that you would want to put on on those people could have them not trade on inside information. But um, it just because it makes sense conceptually doesn't mean that those policies are in place for all assets at all firms. So it's CFTC rule 181, 180.1 or 181.1. I can't remember, but uh, it's the same equivalent rule of commodities markets. If you are a publicly traded company and you are trading based on material non-public information, uh, manipulating the commodities market. And there's tons of situations where, oh, we're going to buy a bunch of steel, we're going to buy a bunch of copper, we're going to buy a bunch of et cetera. Um, you are still uh, basically guilty of the same anti, uh, same manipulative practice. So it's it's not a material distinguish whether, uh, it's not a material factor to distinguish between a commodity or security in that way. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So then, okay, sounds like the rule is in place. Then I guess it just becomes a question of uh, how more easily trackable the asset is, because it it is certainly a lot easier if you are, uh, let's just use an an easy example to say there's an inside company, they're not even a financial institution, they're going to buy this other company, you know, obviously, your senior management cannot be trading in the shares of that company or related companies. That's fairly easily trackable because what you do is you just say, hey, your brokerage account is now under our visibility. And, and that's what would happen at a place like Goldman. You literally have to you know, send them statements of your brokerage account. 
and their entire people and teams that are, are reviewing these things. Um, what, it, and I, again, I, I totally, it's possible to track whether someone went out and bought gold, but it's just so much more of a fragmented market that even if that rule is in place, the only point I'm making is that it is, it is slightly easier for people to get around it. I'm not saying that yeah. they're doing it, but. So John, just briefly at higher levels of major companies, almost all of the executives need to do financial disclosures and they need to disclose when they're taking positions in any financial instruments. Um, I'm talking about the executive brass, not your, you know, normal uh, mid-level workers. So, you know, if, if someone were aware that Apple intended to buy and then they front ran that, they would be subjecting themselves to serious liability, both internally for corporate, you know, uh, corporate governance, but also externally from potential regulators. Makes sense. Makes sense. David with a hand up. Hey, yeah, thanks for the invite up. I appreciate it. Um, love the high level conversation and um, just maybe, I don't know if this is too basic a question, if it is just, uh, let me know, but like, what, what do you say to the, like, to the guys like me that are trying to get to like their second coin, you know, I, I started buying at 33, seems like it's getting really high right now. I mean, do you guys, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of not financial. I know you can't give financial advice, but just kind of get, want to get some thoughts on how high you guys think this should go. Should we still be buying? Should we, should we wait? You know what I mean? I'd just love to get some thoughts on that if you guys can 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 speak to that. I'll jump on that here uh, if you guys don't mind. David, first of all, I'd say don't think in terms of coins, right? That's definitely unit bias. Think in terms of how much fiat you have, how much fiat you make, and how much of that you want to save and preserve in a basically passive and pure form of monetary energy, meaning you don't have to take a lot of risk. You don't have to learn a lot of other things like being a landlord or an art connoisseur or, you know, dealing with sloppy bonds that are um, going to be, you know, in inflatable with, with our economy and where the debt is going. So on one hand, I'd say forget about the number, just convert and save in Bitcoin as much fiat as you don't want to debase and you don't want to devalue and you don't want to dilute. And when you zoom out, we're going nowhere but up. This is an elevator that is never going to end and there is no top floor. So just get in. Now, conservatively, people would say dollar cost average, that tends to work out over time. But if you want to take a little bit more risk, Better than dollar cost averaging, especially in a bull market, which we, for the most part, are going to be for the next couple of years, you kind of want to smash by. So it's up to you. You want to be responsible. You know, no one knows, but look at it as a savings technology. Don't really look at it as an investment. That's my two cents. Yeah, it looks like uh, John had to hop. Um, so I'll kind of reset the room. I know uh, producer Jacob found a great tweet from Wicked. Um, I'll post it up in the nest in a minute here. But um, he was basically saying, like, you know, that basically going back to like timing the market. And, uh, you know, even if you were incredible at timing the market over the last, since the bottom in, I guess, what was it, last November, uh, and you were buying $1,000 a month. You'd have about 0.71 Bitcoin, um, so you wouldn't have a whole Bitcoin at all. Um, but he was just kind of saying um, the 
you, you know, you can't time in it. So kind of one of the best things to do is DCA, whether it's dollar cost average over, you know, once a week, once a month and all that, and just stay humble and keep stacking sats. Um, you know, it's kind of a long-term savings vehicle. It's not something that you need to ape all into. Um, and just kind of, you know, kind of what Terrence was saying, kind of preserve your purchasing power over time, over the long run. Yeah, essentially, uh, you know, out of the 365 days a year, it's, you, you know, 355 of those days were mostly just sideways or actually even down. It's it's hard to believe because we're not used to seeing that. But it's these 10 days that um, over time, every every year are the 10 days that give us the greatest accretion. And you don't know when those 10 days are going to occur. So you just you have to be in there. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I will caveat. So I just posted Wicked's tweet up in the nest. He's like, I don't think they'll ever be able to make a whole coin again. Uh, people in history have been known to be wrong when they say things like, oh, we're never going below 50K. We're never going below 40K. So, well, I don't think, you know, it's always good to be bullish. And Wicked's definitely bullish on Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin surprises the market in, you know, the, the direction of most pain is the direction that it always goes. You know, I didn't stack enough. Bitcoin rips up you know, oh, like, woe is me, you know, we're at the top, I'm the smartest ever, it rips down. So I definitely think, you know, it goes in the direction of most pain for sure. Joe, I see your hands up. Love to get your comments. Yeah. So on the, the we're never going below a certain amount question. One thing you got to remember is that if you look at order books, particularly in moments of high volatility, they get extremely thin. Okay. And the example you should have in your mind is the COVID uh, plunge, because I don't think there's any chance that Bitcoin would have gone back to 4,100, wherever it was at, high 30, 3,800, if it weren't for, you know, the world was shutting down and people were panicking and the stock market was crashing. Um, because there's just not a floor of liquidity in those high volatility moments. But what you should take away from that is that, uh, and, and I always share this point, one of the days that set the record for incoming wires into Coinbase, and we know this publicly, is that it was that COVID bottom, that there's money there to buy the dip very quickly. Um, so even if you do have these wicks down, you will have hours to react. So it's not the type of thing that even if you are correct that it goes lower, you will necessarily have the ability to capture on. And by the way, there's a chance it might not, right? Like it's just the simple fact is we don't know. We can't uh, you know, really assess the future. It's too uncertain. Well, you should you should approach it as you should approach it. And, and this is how I my framework is, is that let's assume Bitcoin goes straight up from here, which it could, right? Are you in a position where maybe you don't have all the Bitcoin you want, but you have a healthy allocation? And then you should think about, okay, I understand this is a long-term savings vehicle. How do I slowly accumulate over time, regardless of whether it goes down, up, I'm going to be very comfortable. So one of the things my, my friend Dr. Jeff talks about a lot is if you have sort of a, uh, you don't have to pick either or. You don't have to do the lump sum or the DCA. If you have $10,000 that you want to allocate, not financial advice, you could buy half now and then allocate over time the remaining five so that you're, you know, sort of splitting the difference. And as investors, we tend to favor one or the other. And uh, to, to, in my view, it's not necessarily the best approach. You should always sort of hedge. And your hedge right now, the price running way is to buy exposure, you know, with a significant chunk if you don't have a position. Uh, it's a different story if you have a position, but if you buy exposure and then save some dry powder if you do get a pullback, right? Um, and you can kind of you know split the difference, and hopefully if you're a wage earner, you can then contribute more. And the biggest biggest problem I see, 
among regular people getting into Bitcoin is they tend to start DCAing or they tend to start lump summing in bull markets. And then when there's the inevitable pullback, they stop. I know real tons of people in real life that did not buy at all at 15, 16, 17, 20K. They started buying, you know, in the high 30s. Um, so, you know, this history uh, doesn't always repeat, but it definitely rhymes. This will happen again, right? People will buy this whole bull, bull market. Say we go to 200,000 and they'll stop buying when we, you know, hover back down to 80 or 90. Um, I, I, it's just human nature. We don't want to buy when things are trending against us, when in reality, that's the, the surest path historically to, you know, a, accumulating a solid position. Solid, solid. And breaking news, anyone who isn't noticing, we just crashed down to 62,700. So this is the dip, everybody. The dip is here. We've dropped from 63,000 to 62,700. Pick it up. Hey, just, just adding on to what Joe was saying, too, and with Tri Powder, we were talking in the space the other day. You know, also, as you're looking ahead with that strategy like that, conservatively decrease your reliance on future allocations or holdings. And when I say conservatively, like it's something that for us plebs, we kind of overlook is that, you know, what happens when things go wrong, when our income streams kind of change, you know, you really want to, um, we talk, you know, it sucks having dry powder when things are running up. Cause you're like, I could have bought, but if that is part of a conservative plan to make sure that you never rely upon the Bitcoin allocation that you've made, that you can truly keep it a one-way ticket from fiat to Bitcoin, that's cool because that's also an investment strategy, you know, to have that dry powder. And if you would have committed to Bitcoin, but potentially now you're going to be just a little thinner as far as like what you have in case things change in your life and situation, that's fine. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Dom, for the, I know many people, I think everyone on stage has heard your story, but for, we have a large audience here. Can you talk about kind of the work you did with Proof of Workforce and kind of getting uh, unions to go on board? You're like, yeah, I'd love to lump in some, uh, a bunch of it in, but, you know, taking more of a, a measured approach and kind of like focusing more on the education side and kind of getting a small allocation and then working its way up. And it's kind of, as of right now, it's worked out pretty well. If you want to give your story, Dom. Yeah, so, so I'll give, a, for the sake of time, a condensed one. For those that don't know, you know, I'm a firefighter. Um, I used to be on the union for over a decade uh, in Bitcoin since 2017. Long story short, you know, I came back from El Salvador learning a lot of lessons in real time about why people are using or not using Bitcoin. Was working on like a formula and came up with a game plan to get the first union off zero, but doing it in a way where they self-custody Bitcoin, not using a third party. So um, the, the, the original step here was to do something very small, something like a dollar per member approach to getting off zero. And when considering this for a newcomer, um, yes, there is going to be, look, when we got off zero, Bitcoin was at 25 K. Um, could we have, um, making a move that we did four months later at 25 K and been better off? Sure. Would we have survived that move? At 25k, I don't know, because as an organization, it's not like you individually. When an organization gets into something, it can be pulled in many different directions because it's a majority rule situation, and so you can have individuals that can sway the membership in one way or another. So, 
I think it's really important for organizations, whether anyone out there that's trying to orange pill their church, um, you know, their, their, their hobbyist club, any organization that holds money on behalf of the organizations as a whole, it is worth it. And it has been time proven to get off zero with a very minimal amount, even if that means um, having FOMO when the price goes up, because it doesn't matter if you can't stay in the asset and continue on the path you're going. And a perfect example of that is in July when the Santa Monica firefighters took their first step um, into Bitcoin at a very small amount. The day after that was executed, the SEC filed a lawsuit against Coinbase and Binance. Now, at a dollar per member, no one's coming in concerned. In fact, quite the opposite. People came in lacking fear, ready to learn. Hey, we have our our Bitcoin in self-custody. This doesn't have to do with us, right? Great. Yeah, love hearing that conversation. Imagine now it had been a large, massive sum um, preceding the education. Now imagine people coming in going, hey, I don't like this. This doesn't make me feel good. We have the government now going after two of the biggest exchanges. I'm seeing news articles. You know what? I'm going to rally the members and we're going to reverse this thing. Let's get out of this. It's not good. Now you have a bunch of uneducated members who are susceptible to one thing or the other. And they're going, well, it makes sense what this other person's saying. I'm, I'm also out. Let's get out of this. Okay, we just pulled out. We're done. Imagine now we're, not, we're no longer involved in Bitcoin. Right? It, 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 it wouldn't be worth it. I'd rather get in at a dollar and continue that longevity. And that has proven to work with organizations. Other unions have followed suit. And what, what inevitably happens is you foster an ideal learning environment and inevitably a next deeper step into Bitcoin. Because we all know when you learn about Bitcoin, it, it strengthens your convictions uh, every time. So that's kind of the, the um, story on kind of like how we got involved and why I think it's so important for organizations to get off zero at a very minimal amount, even if. Um, you're going to have some FOMO and you know the price might run up and we might be in a bull market because it means nothing. You know, like I was saying to start off the show, you know, two to two to five years might be about how much Bitcoin you have. But 10 to 20 years will be about how long you can hold on to your Bitcoin and responsibly acquire Bitcoin. That will be the story of 10 to 20 years, not how much you have. Yeah, thanks for that story, Dom. It's always a, you know, I was a little listening to that story. Uh, anyone want to add anything to that? I, yeah, I think it's awesome. I've heard Dom's story a couple times now, and I, I, I wish there was more people. And, you know, maybe with, you know, Dom is, um, I think he has like a PDF or something like some sort of template or manual at, at the proof of work site where other people can download and sort of copy paste and, you know, pair it to help onboard the, you know, the, the pensions or organizations that they're close to, um, which is really cool. I will say though, Dom, I, um, next time you tell that story, you know, um, Joe Carlosari left halfway through, so he was falling asleep there. I mean, I was fine. I enjoyed it, but I just, you know, just some feedback there. I know. And he's on our, he's on our board and helps us out a lot. So he's probably like, Oh, I gotta, let me do something productive. So I'll work on, that was the short one because I didn't talk about the rescue down at the beach 
some of the latest trip to El Salvador, you know, that, that, but that's for a longer one. We'll have to dish it out. But like you were saying, Terrence, like for those listening, everything, all the work we're doing with unions, um, adding Bitcoin to the balance sheet or other organizations, I'm trying to put it on the website as just open source materials so that you don't need us to help you out. If you want to do something with your own organization, you have some tools, you know, on there, we have the survey that we used to get the membership to that. We had a vote on it and this was, it passed by 87%. Um, we have letters to your pension fund, um, that can be configured to any organization you want. We have letter preset letter template to your union. That's at the proofofworkforce.org website. And, you know, it may seem like an arduous task and one that will, I will tell you ahead of time, even with all the adoption going on now, it's a high probability that it will be either dismissed, not responded to, um, or, or quickly just, you'll get a no response, but, you know, it's worth reaching out still because at least with your organization, you can say, Hey, I tried to introduce my organization to Bitcoin. They said, no, um, I got turned down, but you know, in two years from now, five years, 10 years, when whatever's happening is happening, I can at least say, Hey, I tried not in a, I told you so like, but in a humble, like, look, I literally just tried to introduce the organization to Bitcoin. It didn't work. Um, but we try to give you as many tools possible to be successful and increase the chances of that success. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, I we're, we're about 30 minutes over. I know we started 10 minutes early and we're 30 minutes over now. Um, so I want to give a huge shout out and a thank you to Dom, Shelly, Terrence, Lynn, J- producer Jacob, and all the other speakers that came up on stage. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for everyone that listened. Uh, let's do a final wrap of just like final thoughts or uh, thought for the day, and then we'll kind of wrap it up and get out of here. So, Dom, if you want to go first with uh, final thoughts on today. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. Remember, the people that approach you and tell you you should sell your Bitcoin right now are almost 100% likely the same people that told you you should have never bought before. Just remember that when you give them any time or consideration. Yeah, Dom, I completely agree. Shelly, any final thoughts? Hey, yeah, don't uh, buy anything other than Bitcoin. It's bad for you. Terrence. Just remember, we have all jumped in the DeLorean. We have gone back in time. This is it right now. Bitcoin is at a million bucks, and we have just come back in time. This is the opportunity, so we should not be waiting for anything else. Lynn, anything else you want to add? Uh, coins off of Coinbase. Uh, Self custody is the way. And and thanks for the great conversation this morning. Thank you so much, Lynn. Producer Jacob, any any comments you want to add? Uh, thanks to everyone for hanging out. And um, you know, if you see, if you have time, just go to Swan YouTube channel. The Bitcoin price live chart is a lot of fun to watch. Um, and if we uh, start pumping again, then definitely we'll be back later today. Um, I'm expecting to have a lot of uh, Swan content coming out with this bull market. So be on the lookout. Yeah, definitely. Um, everyone, keep a lookout for the Bitcoin Daily Show by Dante Cook. I always get a lot of information out of those. They're, you know, anywhere from like 7 to 15 minutes. It's always great snippets and clips and stuff from the day. Uh, make sure to check out Pacific Bitcoin. You can get 10% off your tickets by using the code CAFE. 
You can get an additional 21% off your tickets if you buy in Bitcoin. Uh, hoping to, looking forward to seeing everyone at Pacific Bitcoin October 18th and 19th. And uh, yeah, like Jacob said, make sure to follow the Swan Twitter handle. Uh, we'll be coming back tomorrow. I'm not sure if Sam Callahan's going to be running the macro discussion or if we're going to have a double dose of John Har because I think Sam is off in Madeira. Um, and then, yeah, make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for the speakers. Thank you for everyone that joins us every day. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern, if not earlier, if the price starts pumping again. So thanks so much, guys. We'll catch you later.